Hello and welcome today to another of our Dental Business Transaction Podcasts and I have enormous pleasure in welcoming John Milne, National Dental Advisor at the CQC. Hello John. Hello there. Thank you very much for joining me and taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule. Um, Before I fire a few questions at you that I've got here, um, I told my team that I'd be talking to you today and they've sent me some questions that they'd like me to ask you. Let's hear a little bit about the man. I'd love to hear about yourself, your journey and getting to become National Dental Advisor at the CQC. So I'm a general dental practitioner and by that I mean I'm a wet fingered dentist. I've been working in general dental practice near Wakefield for I hate to tell you how long but uh, just slightly more than 40 years. I work mostly in the NHS. I've got a special interest in orthodontics. Mm But I've never just been happy with working solely in general dental practice. I've always dabbled in other things. And uh, amongst those, I've dabbled in dental politics. So I've been involved in local dental committees, been involved in the British Dental Association. I was um, elected to the General Dental Practice Committee uh, and and then to my absolute surprise was elected to be chair of that, um, which took me into um, very interesting roles, talking with government and the like about the NHS terms and conditions and representing dentists, whether they worked in NHS or private. So all of that coupled with uh, coupled with clinical work has kept me busy. And when my term of office finished, at, uh, at the BDA as GDPC chair, I started having a little bit, little bit of a think about what to do. And the opportunity came, came up to join the CQC. And my first thoughts were, why on earth would I join? Why on earth would I join them? <laughs> and I'd spent some of my time as chair of GDPC trying to prevent the CQC having anything to do with dentistry at all and, and failed, failed terribly in that. But In my last couple of years as GDPC chair, the CQC started to change. It started to listen to the profession, started to um, engage in a more positive way with the British Dental Association and others. And I thought, well, they've started on a journey. Perhaps I can help them continue it. And so I joined CQC as their national advisor. Some people said to me, you're going to be... A uh, poacher turned gamekeeper, and I said, "No, no, no! I'm going to be a poach keeper because I'm still a general dental practitioner." And yeah. one of the ways I articulate my role is that I represent the CQC to the dental profession, and the dental profession back to the CQC. And although that's sometimes quite a tricky line to tread, hopefully I've been doing okay with it. But your friends and colleagues may tell you different. No, I think it's um. It's fascinating and it's good to hear that because I think that having being a dentist yourself, nobody has better insight into what goes on than you and there's nothing more frustrating. Um, I've certainly had roles in my previous professional career when somebody that has great power, the somebody that can have a big influence on what you do, has no real understanding of what goes on. And so, you know, you have this foot in both camps. You're a poacher turned poach keeper. I like that saying. That's rather good. So that's cool. And how long have you actually been National Dental Advisor now? Just coming up to six years. Plans for the future? How long have you envisaged being there for? <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but, uh, but I'm not 21 anymore. 
my clinical sort of time is is drawing to a close. I'm not doing that much clinical work now, a little bit of orthodontics here. Um, I'm interested in rugby league and I do some work with Featherstone Rovers, a well-known uh, Yorkshire rugby league club. And uh, if they get their teeth kicked in during the game, put them in a place where they can. So I'm just doing that little amount of clinical work. And uh, I think one of the things as a national advisor for someone like CQC is you have to maintain your credibility. I'll certainly be doing another year or two with CQC. Um, after that, as I say, I'm not 21. I was going to retire when I was 55, and I still haven't. And uh, I like travelling. Uh, I like skiing when my knees allow it. I'm a pretty rubbish golfer. And, and those are things that I, I would like to do. So Now, I know that you have a very big, strong interest in Bridge to Aid. So um, tell me about that, how you got involved and, and, you know, the impact it's had on you. I've often thought that oral health in other countries can be pretty poor, particularly in Africa, India and some of the third world countries. And I've been playing with the idea of volunteering and helping out for many years. And eventually a, a friend of mine said, why don't you come with Bridge to Aid? And I couldn't think of a good excuse not to go. So I signed up and um, be about three years back now, I went on a trip to Tanzania with Bridge to Aid. It was interesting because I knew it was going to be fairly primitive. Mm -hmm. The people on the trip knew that I was a national advisor to the CQC and um, they were interested about what I would think about how they manage sterilisation and infection control and stuff in primitive surroundings with no electricity. And I was staggered at how good it was. The other thing that absolutely blew my mind was that... um, What they aim to do with Bridge to Aid is train local health workers how to provide emergency dental care, which often means extracting teeth. The team operate a programme whereby a team of volunteers from from the UK and sometimes Australia and places like that Mm -hmm. will train these local health workers how to extract teeth. And that's a particular skill. Strangely enough, in my own practice, you know, um, you know how the dental nurses and the staff say, well, would you go Would you go to a John for a filling? And they'll say, no. And would you go for orthodontics? Maybe. Well, would you go for a tooth out? And they'd all say, yes, because it was one of the skills that I, I don't know how. Yeah. I just had reasonable skill in that. Yeah. And I thought, you can't, surely it's, you can't teach someone that skill in eight days, a couple of weeks. But yeah. the programme is so good that you can and by the time I got to the end of the trip that I was on, we trained six or seven, I think seven, seven Tanzanians how to take teeth out. And I would have let any one of them take a tooth out for me if I needed it. They acquired the skill because it was just concentrated how to take teeth out, observing, practicing, doing. And um, by the time they'd finished their eight days, most of them had extracted more teeth than in, than a UK undergraduate would in the whole of their dental training. So they had acquired great skill. And we left them to support and help their own communities with that skill. And in rural Tanzania, where um, a mouth infection can lead to either severe disfigurement or even death, it's a a life-saving skill and a real boon to those communities. So I was blown away with how well they did it. And the infection prevention and control was really good. And following on from that trip, Bridge to Aid thought I might be a useful person to come on board their their team here. And so I joined their board as trustees. Um, and so 
I do a bit of bit of PR work for them here and there. And I would go back like a shop to volunteer again um, when COVID permits. Really, that's extraordinary. So, And having that ambassadorial role, it must be a fantastic sense of achievement. I mean, it's quite extraordinary what you were telling me, how many you know extractions they were doing. But of course, the reality is out there that they're going to be doing an awful lot of that. So if they were good then after that brief training, can you imagine how adept they are now? In Tanzania, there's sort of uh, roughly about the same population as, as there is in the UK. So 60 million plus. But there's only two or 300 dentists in Tanzania, as opposed to what, I don't know. 50,000 yeah. or so in this country. Don't, don't quote me on that figure. It's no, just no. a guess. Um, but, but, and, um, and, in the rural, and, and in the rural communities, you might have to travel for hours and hours or days and days to get to a hospital where there might be a, a dentist yeah. there. So yeah. um, that training for the rural health staff, um, absolutely vital. It's a lovely story to hear about as well. It was a great privilege to go and do it and a great privilege to be able to um, teach these individuals who they did some training on on oral health, they did some training on anatomy before we went, but to actually just help transfer the skills to this group of people, what a great thing to be able to do. The nurses, um, we took nurses with us and... Hygienist therapists who taught these people how to how to teach oral hygiene to their communities, yeah. teaching the importance of oral hygiene, um, to show them how to do that, and also to teach uh, these health workers how to sterilise their equipment. And when we left, they were given a, a set of instruments, forceps, elevators, and um, and and a device to sterilise the kit that they got. It, effectively, it was a it was like a pressure cooker modified to work from a gas bottle and yeah. to provide the heat heat to uh, get the water up to pressure. A very, very primitive autoclave. It meant that they were able to practice safely in a country where there's quite a lot of AIDS and HIV floating around as well. No, fabulous experience. Well done. Well, that's marvellous. Well, after hearing about something so empowering and, and to do such good... Let's get to some slightly more mundane questions that I have here for you. Yes, a natural segue into let's talk about ventilation in dental practices, John, because I've got I've got about three or four questions here that uh, my team have asked me to pose to you. Um, So, yeah, let's get back to the day job. Ventilation in dental practices. Well, it's it's very much a hot topic and there are loads of opinions out there. And um, I think I think the first thing to say is that from the CQC's point of view, um, the place that we would look to for guidance and, and advice um, is going to be to the advice that Public Health England use, and that which has come out through the standard operating procedures from the um, Chief Dental Officer and the Scottish Dental Clinical Effectiveness Programme (SDCEP) as they're known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> produce some interesting uh, work on ventilation and just within the last few days they've updated their guidance so ventilation is important it's important because the coronavirus as we understand it um, is transmitted both by not just by droplets when we cough sneeze um, and stuff like that but by aerosols which come out when Mm -hmm. we speak and if we speak loudly um, or if we sing and things like that, ventilations by the way by which the aerosol particles get diluted in the in the air in the room that you're in. So the ventilation can be um, 
just as simple as opening a window and a door or both, or you can practices can fit some artificial ventilation if um, if the natural ventilation is not good enough. Um, and so there are there are devices that you can fit. You know, very very similar to uh, the fans that you get, expel air fans. You might have them in yeah. kitchen stuff like that. They need to deliver enough air changes per hour. And Public Health England and the SD or the Faculty of General Dental Practice, have all, all, are all saying the same stuff about the number of air changes per hour that you need for for safety. Right. And linked with linked with the ventilation. Um, is the amount of time you have to leave a surgery for when you've done an aerosol generating procedure as well. There are some other things that people ask us about. I don't know whether your your colleagues have done this, but there are air purifiers and those types of things. Um, And again, the the evidence surrounding how effective those are is perhaps a little less clear. Um, But um, I think what, what, what we're seeing is that the advice is look at what the manufacturers will tell you. Um, as a cynic, I'd always say, take what the salesman tells you with a pinch of salt. Um, and with some of those devices, I think the advice is to halve the um, the flow rate or, or air exchange rate that they talk about, because a lot depends on the position those machines are in the room, how close they are to the patient yeah. and things. And all of this is is a precautionary approach. And and the chief reason is because the next patient in the room hasn't got the benefit of all the PPE that dentists and their teams have been using. So ventilation is really important. And I think um, we'll see see going forwards, um, whether it be CQC inspections or NHS England inspections or the types of things that practices undergo when they're going to become foundation trainers or things like that. Ventilation in the practice is going to be important. Going to be important. Okay, that's that one ticked off. Next question for you is the revision of standard operating procedures. Now the big chestnut for you. It is, isn't it? Well, there's been an awful lot around the dental websites um, around this because practitioners are just simply, they're fed up. They're fed up of having to wear um, FFP3 masks that, um, that that are really tight onto your yeah. face. I know whenever I put them on, you know, they're very, very uncomfortable and very hot. And then on top of that, you've got to wear, uh, wear a cap, you've got to wear a visor and a gown um, and a plastic apron and all of the gear is really really uncomfortable and my i completely understand why people are getting fed up of it and so people think well how long are we going to have to do this for and i think people are rightly asking questions such as the proportion of people in the population who've been vaccinated that's going up is the risk different when you've got a vaccinated patient and a vaccinated dental team is there any need to keep wearing all this gear mm-hmm. um, and the the answer from the CQC's point of view is that we recognize that all of these things should be reviewed regularly and our touchstone again is going to be the advice and guidance on on PPE that Public Health England give yeah. out um, and I think if people read it carefully I think there may be some signs mm-hmm. of possibilities of change but yeah. The prime purpose is going to be protection of the team. And, um, and and an interesting question for dental teams is, 
is, well, what would you really want for yourself? What level of protection would you want? And it's strange because in, in the general hospital setting, we're hearing healthcare workers saying, it's not good enough for me just wearing one of these fluid repellent masks that you tie up they've got gaps around the corner i'm putting myself at risk from aerosol bone infections from the patients who may be in the hospital environment or the gp environment so it's important to look at this from from a wide perspective yeah and when is the next um review do you know have have they given you any dates when they're next going to look at this I'm not aware. I'm not aware of any dates, but logic logic would suggest that as the infection rate in the UK is falling, um, as the vaccination rate is rising, um, logic would suggest that we should be looking at this and reviewing. And so, as I said about ventilation, there's just been a review on that from SDSEP, um, but they didn't come out and say, ventilation no longer important and uh, so I think PPE and the like will still be important for practices. Definitely okay and what will smarter regulation look like for dental practices John? Smarter regulation it's really it's something I've been hoping we might do for for a while because traditionally a CQC inspection might mean spending a day with our team in a dental practice um, it might mean spending an awful lot of time looking at all the policies that dental practice have accumulated over the years. All of them are important. Some of the some are perhaps more important than others. But it's very very time consuming. And 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 if we think about the situation of a corporate practice, let's say one with a, I don't know two or three hundred practices, they all have the same policies. They all say the same thing. Yeah. Surely the important thing about policies and procedures is whether the staff who are working in the practice understand them, put them into practice to enable them to work safely. So we've been doing a little bit of thinking about how might the um, dental inspection process work for us? And could we smarten it up? Could we perhaps use IT? And so, for example, with a a new registration a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago, what, what we did was the inspector from the CQC and the inspection manager hooked up with a Teams call using IT, using the phone. And the potential um, practice owner showed us around their brand spanking new practice with their phone, um, interrupted from time to time to say, can we see what's behind that door, what's in that cupboard? Uh, And he shows your emergency drugs and things like that. That process was much quicker than a face-to-face crossing the threshold was. And I was really um, I was really encouraged to see how much time could be saved, but the process could still be um, effective. Yeah, and rigorous. And rigorous, yeah, that too. Yeah. And so we started to think, might we be able to do that with our routine dental inspections? And so we've started to talk about those things. Um, could we use IT more remotely from from the inspection day? Could you yeah. could you send us a few files of, of things in them? Could we start asking practices for information, perhaps on an annual basis or something like that? Because our standard questions that practices are asked on registration are perhaps not got enough detail in them. So, yeah. for example, we've just done a uh, we're doing a pro- a project on on sedation and we didn't know which dental practices were using sedation and which weren't till we asked them 
Mm-hmm. And we got, a, we got a big response rate when we sent an email out saying, can you tell us if you do sedation or not? And to our surprise, nearly 20% of dental practices were doing sedation of some sort or another. And so we'll, we're going to have a think about how that might work. Um, a smarter process seems good, but a smarter process still needs to be able to assure um, ourselves as the commission and the public who use services yeah. that the services they that they get mm. are safe, effective, and all, all our set of mm. questions. We could examine the patient journey perhaps remotely. So mm. our GP colleagues, what they do is they sign up on the on the laptop and they dial into the practice software of the GP practice that they're looking at, and they have a look at Mrs. Blogs, and they follow Mrs. Blogs through to see whether she's had the right vaccinations, to see whether um, if she needs blood pressure checks or stuff like that, whether those things are happening at the right time. So you could imagine that we might be able to do that. We could follow mm-hmm. a patient journey through the examination, the diagnosis. We could look at photos, could look at radiographs and things like that. So we're exploring these ideas, and we've tested them out by asking uh, loads of loads of dentists and their colleagues what they think about smartening up the process. We did that just before Christmas, and the vast majority of people were saying to us, "Yeah, what a good idea! Smarten up, yeah. make it quicker, make it more effective, um, less time in the practice, um, potentially less difficult for people." Because uh, we do realise that you know it is a challenge, and people get a bit nervous when we knock on yeah. the door. Yeah, we find that too, obviously, because, you know, in our world, you'll have, especially with the first time buyer, you know, it's a huge thing to have the CQC inspection. But as you say, these are all new ways of working. We're certainly embracing it. And we're finding that obviously now the world is opening up. We're back out looking at practices and and meeting clients face to face. But we do an awful lot of work beforehand on Zoom, on Teams, talking to them. So rather than, you know, drive three hours to go and see somebody and then have that one meeting. We've probably spoken to them for sort of at least a couple of hours beforehand on meetings, and there's no reason why you can't marry the two up and still get all the information that you need, but do a lot of it remotely and so much less traveling. So it's got to be a good thing. Well, one of the things that happened during the COVID time was that um, we phoned up practices. We started off phoning up practices effectively just to say, well, how are you getting on? Are you managing all right? Have you got any problems getting PPE and and, and the like? And um, practices liked that approach. And so we developed what we called a, we called it a trans, a transitional monitoring approach, we called it, or a TMA. And the thick end of, thick end of a thousand dental practices have had those since Christmas. And we go through a set of questions, asking some of the basic common stuff that CQC is asking around about safety, infection prevention and control and the like. And we've what, what we're thinking about at the moment is, could that, could that approach, whether it be done on the phone or done by Zoom, become the basic starting point for our inspection process? Could we um, need revisit as many practices face-to-face as we do? Or when we do visit practices, might it be more a more focused approach and, and generally just becoming smarter? So I think where we're heading for is a, a more sophisticated approach that's a bit mm-hmm. smarter. Yeah, a bit more user-friendly for all round. That's right. And we'll, yeah. and we'll start, you know, we'll start with the IT-based approach and then move on from there. Obviously, if, if we get a phone call that tells us that there are real problems and difficulties, if, if we get whistleblowers and things like that, then we'll still visit a practice where we think there's concern for the safety of the public or the staff. Yes. 
Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that. And I think that um, from a purely selfish point of view for, for our business, you know, I think any time that one can save um, with all the people on the ground doing all the jobs to get a sale through and, you know, timelines, I think it's all good. It's, it's working smarter, not harder, isn't it, John? By working smarter, we'll be able to have contact with more practices. Again, strangely enough, we were only looking at 10% of practices a year, but we've, we've done a thousand of these calls between January and, uh, and the end of April. And people have reflected back to us that having contact with the CQC, who they may not have had contact with for youngs, has actually been less scary and more affirming than they might have than they might have thought. So we see we see us being in contact with probably more practices than we have done in the past, but in a smarter way. And we think that'll bring sort of bring a win-win for us really. Brilliant. I think I think that's very good news to hear. Um, so I think before we, we finish, a couple of quick questions for you. So what are the most common problems that you find in dentistry? And then conversely, what are the best things that you find in dentistry? Some of them are administrative of, um, of the staff had the Hep B vaccination, or I guess soon it'll be the COVID uh, vaccination. Oh, yeah. um, I don't believe there are any signs of the COVID vaccination becoming mandatory at, uh, at the moment. Um, have the staff got references? Um, have they had the DBS checks done? Simple stuff like that. And mm. um, along the admin side, has an audit been done about the uh, infection control? Has there been a radiograph audit? Um, in an ideal world, we'd like to see some audits of records and stuff like that. Clinically, the things that often go wrong are recording the checks about things like emergency drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we at present we give practices a couple of weeks' notice that we're, we're going to show up. And, uh, and when we show up, we still find emergency drugs that are out of date or missing or not there. Um, and those things those things give us a picture of, of whether the practice is well organised, whether it's well led and whether it's safe. So those are the sorts of things that go wrong. In terms of the best... Yes. Let's finish on a high note, John. <laughs> well, the good news is that when CQC can take action against practices where things are not so good... We very rarely have to do that in dentistry. 90% of practices that we visit need no action at all, and they're absolutely fine. So that's that's a good thing to hear. Some practices, they just go above and beyond what you would, you would think was reasonable for their patients. And so we see practices that have made big efforts to give access to disadvantaged communities within you know for the people within the care home setting things like that to do domiciliary visits for people who can't get out and uh, obviously that's got to be done safely but but we see lots of good things there another another thing that that some practices do that's good um i know that many of your Many of your clients will, of course, be doing these sorts of things already, but a phone call for a patient who's had an extraction or perhaps had endodontics started later on in the evening to say, are you okay? Have you got any pain? Is everything fine? And follow-ups to referrals that are made to uh, hospitals, that's another good thing that we see in good practices. Loads of practices do surveys of their patients, asking them whether they're satisfied, whether they're happy. Yeah, as you say, many people will say, well, I do that anyway. And this may well give people some ideas, which is always a positive thing. It'll give people food for thought. 
So, John, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed it, especially hearing about your dental, your bridge to aid. Um, that's a great story to hear about. And I hope that you get to go out there or somewhere similar again, get the opportunity when you find the time. Um, thank you once again for joining me. And I hope very much that you'll come back and talk to me again, perhaps in a few months time when the world has opened up even wider and you may have some even better news for us with regards to virtual or semi-virtual inspections and new legislation that's passed. And thank you very much for all the hard work that you put into making the CQC the body that it is. And I will just add one thing. I love on the, on the website, the Mythbusters on the CQC website. I think they're great. And it's a very interactive and very comprehensive website. And I think it's important that you speak a, a simple language for people to understand because you can get so swamped down in all the jargon. So that the Mythbusters on the CQC website, if no one's ever seen them, do go and have a look at them because they're very good. John, thank you very much indeed. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you for listening to our Dental Business Transaction Podcasts. I hope you found it informative. And remember that they're easily available through our website, lilyhead.co.uk. You can listen to them via Spotify, Apple or Podbean or watch the video versions on many conversations through our YouTube channel. Finally, if you'd like to talk to any one of my team or myself, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We can help you with advice, buying, selling, or funding a dental practice. So please do call us. We can be reached at dentalbrokers at lilyhead.co.uk. Thank you and goodbye for now.